Hey everyone, Eric here. As we embark on our new journey with Casilda Song, I really want to be more intentional about coming on at the beginning of episodes to share news about the podcast, give you a window into the creation of the nature of my game, and tell you about things that you might not know about or might have known about at some point and forgotten about. So I hope you're not already tired of hearing me talk. I know that we have some new listeners who are joining us now for the second time, and I again want to welcome you to the nature of my game. And while we're just kicking off this campaign, there's a lot of content from the past year and a half or so that came before this season, and I'd like to take some time to introduce you to it, in case you just can't wait a week between episodes. To start, let's take a quick look back at our two previous Yellow King RPG seasons, which I mentioned in last week's intro, and which sort of serve as prequels to our Casilda Song story. Way back in December 2021, we released our first ever season on the Nature of My Game podcast. It was called For Those About to Rock, and featured three absolutely brilliant characters played by three even more brilliant players. If you make your way through our existing catalog, you'll be hearing from these players a lot, and that's truly a testament to how blown away I was by them the first time we ever sat down to play. In For Those About to Rock, you meet Francis Anderson, who was also featured in this first Casilda song season, played by Emily Townsend. Francis is a portrait painter by trade, loves gothic horror, and would do pretty much anything to make a name for herself in the Parisian art scene. You also meet Donald Braith, played by Mikey Krennic, an architect with no time for anything he doesn't deem rational but whose life might be more affected by the machinations of the King in Yellow than any other character so far. And finally, you meet Montgomery Hogg, Southern Gentleman and Belle Latriste, who loves to pontificate about the meaning of life almost as much as he loves any mind-altering substance he can get his hands on. Which of course begs the question, what is he trying to get his mind to forget? These three investigate a mystery surrounding strange happenings at Notre Dame Cathedral, a story based on a Yellow King RPG scenario written by Sarah Saltiel called The Doors to Heaven. And then, despite their every intention to leave that awful ordeal behind them, these three characters return to the stage, both metaphorically and literally, in another Nature of My Game season called The Grand Illusion, based on a scenario included in the Paris book of the Yellow King RPG written by Robin D. Laws called Ghost of the Garnier. This story sees Francis, Donald, and Monty investigating the announcement of an upcoming production set to premiere at the Palais Garnier called Casilda. The black stars and white sky featured in the show's poster remind the investigators too much of what they experienced six months before, and they, somewhat reluctantly, dive back into the world of the King in Yellow. The Grand Illusion has also been selected to be a part of the upcoming NZ Webfest in their actual play category, so I highly recommend you check it out. Okay, last thing before we get to the episode. Our friends over at Pelgreen Press are offering an amazing deal on their Yellow King RPG PDFs at bundleofholding.com, so if you want to try your hand at this awesome game, you should go check that out. And if you want to grab a hard copy of the Yellow King RPG, you can get 10% off at the Pelgrane Press web store by using the promo code POD hashtag NOMGPOD at checkout. As always, you can find more information about the Nature of My Game podcast at NOMG Podcast on Twitter and Instagram or at www.nomgpodcast.com. And you can support us on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash NOMGPodcast. And now, with no more ado, sit back. Relax and enjoy the second episode of Casilda Song Chapter 1 Spill the Wine. Previously on the Nature of My Game podcast. It is September, summer is going, and you know what that means? The light is going. I would very much love if the few of us, you know, hearty Americans here at the school could potentially have some sort of an outing, um, take advantage of some of that good light before it's all gone. The man with the impressive beard even says, a beautiful day, no? And you have found the perfect scene to capture, as we have. A perfect afternoon, gentlemen. Something to cast in amber and stow away in the cellar for a hundred years. 
Though they're trying to focus on their work, they're giving off kind of an air of distracted agitation. You might not think it to look at me. Something's happened to me. Is, is there like a discreet way to ask Claude Monet what has frightened him recently? That's an alarming thing to describe. You hear a shriek echoing across the park. It sounds like someone who is not afraid, but like appalled. Because Rose, after all this time, simply cannot help herself. You see a man's arm severed just above the elbow, bobbing in the water, and the waves are kind of repeatedly nudging it against the shore. Can you get them away from there? Can someone get that arm out of the water? Even if this is demonic stuff that's happening right now, that's pretty sweet. Paris, September 16th, 1894. Rose Fallaby woke with a start and found herself lying on the floor of her apartment. Still bleary-eyed, she pushed herself up and nearly bumped her head on the large piece of marble that was standing over her. Rose looked up at the marble and shuddered, flashes of the last few days filling her mind. Rose tried for a moment in vain to remember where the marble had come from, but she knew that she didn't know. It had simply appeared in her apartment one day, just at the beginning of the semester, with a note sitting on top. It had simply read, To Rose, to hone your remarkable skill, and was signed, C. Now, most people might have questioned the marble's arrival, and Rose did to a degree, but she knew better than to look a gift horse in the mouth, and so she'd let the strangeness pass by without much thought. Rather than obsess over the origin of the marble, over the next few days, Rose had begun to obsess over what to do with the marble. She knew it needed to be something important, but she also didn't want to make any mistakes, which were much harder to rectify than when using clay. So she began to sketch. And as she did, it was as if a fever of creativity overtook her. She now remembered going what seemed like hours, perhaps days, without eating, without sleeping, only sketching, trying to find the perfect idea to fit her mysterious gift. Rose's head was now pounding in pain, and she took a deep breath, trying to stop the barrage of images from the past few days flooding her memory. She stood up and moved to get herself a glass of water, and as she did, she saw something that hadn't been there before. A marble bust of a middle-aged woman, with a pained expression on her face, sitting on top of the marble slab. In a flash, a new set of memories blinked in and out of Rose's head, somewhere between horrifying revelation and waking nightmare. Rose saw herself answering the door and seeing a middle-aged woman standing there, offering her a cup of tea. She saw herself following the woman down to the woman's apartment and staring in amazement at the size of the apartment as she entered. She saw the woman pointing out a large bath in the middle of the floor, a basin of sorts carved into the stone of the floor, filled with a crystal clear liquid that Rose was sure wasn't water. And then she saw a flash of golden light, heard the woman scream, no, Rose wouldn't think of that. She couldn't think of that. She took a long gulp of water in her hand, finishing what was left in the glass, and then looked back at the bust staring across the room at her. She knew whose face was reflected in that bust, and she also knew that she didn't want to remember how it had gotten there.
So this season kicks off a new era of the Nature of My Game podcast. We are going to attempt to play through the entirety of uh, a new campaign uh, that is set to be released in 2024, written by Robin Laws, the creator of the Yellow King RPG by Paul Grain Press, um, called Casilda's Song. Uh, it's a it's an epic Yellow King campaign um, that spans all four of the timelines uh, of the Yellow King RPG, starting with 1895 Paris. Moving to the wars setting, which takes place kind of in the era of um, World War II-ish, but in a, a slightly altered reality, maybe more than slightly. The the aftermath setting, which is more modern day, but in that same altered reality. And then the fourth setting is This Is Normal Now, which is takes place in our world um, with some slight tweaks. Um, so something that Lindsay might be familiar with, something more in line with like Impossible Landscapes. Um, some slight, some slight uh, changes to our world caused by the Yellow King. Um, and so that means that we are going to have a, a more set cast. We're still not going to have the same people on every season because, you know, <laughs> that's no fun. Um, but we do have seven players who are going to be playing in this campaign. Uh, and we have four of them with us on this season. Um, and so I want to give uh, fans, um, listeners, I don't know, can we call them fans? I don't feel comfortable saying fans. People people who, people who decide to listen to us. I want them to be able to get to know our cast a little bit. Um, and so we're going to do the first part of a game of two truths and a lie. Um, so we're going to start by sharing three things um, about each of uh, about ourselves. Um, I will do the same. Uh, two of them which are real and one is fake. And then we will, at the end of the season... Um, come back and reveal which one was a lie. So for all of you uh, aspiring podcasters out there, this is called foreshadowing or uh, <laughs> or, <laughs> or leaving a cliffhanger. Um, Love it. <laughs> that's, how, that's, that's what we're doing here. I know you all are going to tune back into the final episode of the season just to know what the lie was for each person. <laughs> um, so, uh, Chris, I'm going to put you on the spot. You're going oh. to start. Give us, your, give us your two truths and a lie. Yeah. Um... I always find these so tough. I know. Um, I would say um, I have I have never skied. Never skied. This one's topical. Um, <laughs> I really do not like Paris at all. <laughs> um, okay. okay. And my um, my grandfather has a potato named after him. I need that to be true. Well, yeah, you 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 <laughs> yeah. clearly are the winner of the game if that is the one that's not true because that's like that's like a winning balderdash response. It's like it, it has to be it has to be real because no one would ever come up with that. It's hey, just so awfully specific. You never yes. know. Maybe maybe that's the mind games at work here. Unless it's like he actually has a tomato named after him. <gasps> oh, see, that's, oh, that's how okay. you really do it. You, you, you like slightly yeah. alter yep. uh, something that is real. Yes. So uh, just uh, so that people know, uh, that that's Chris Smith. Um, he is playing uh, Percy Eustace Vanderbilt um, in our Yellow King campaign. He also uh, played in season three Fabio Scamacca. So, Chris, glad to, glad to have you here. Um, glad to be here. <laughs> uh, Lindsay, would you like to go next? Sure. Um, okay, my two truths and a lie. Um, mixing them all up. Uh, so I have written my name on the Eiffel Tower. Um, I've run a half marathon, and I don't know how to ride a bike. Wow. Those are See, that's, those are three Solid. good ones. 
Those Solid. are really, really in the right, the right range for what they should be. That's very good. It's like a little bit hard to tell, right? <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Lindsey Brown uh, playing Rose Fallaby in our Yellow King campaign also played Veronica Doyle in season four of the podcast. Um, and Rose in some Patreon content and um, another another person in, in a fiasco game whose name I'm definitely not going to come up with. But maybe you will. Um, Betty. Betty Nagel. Betty, Betty Angle, Nagel. yes. Yeah, yeah. amazing. Uh, who could forget? Who could forget? <laughs> um, all right, I will go next. Um, I think that anyone listening to this probably knows me. Um, I'm Eric Priester. I am the creator and host and GM and producer and editor of this podcast. <laughs> my, <laughs> my three facts, my two truths and a lie are that I am currently in culinary school, um, that I got a perfect score on the SAT, and that I have the yellow sign tattooed on my arm. And everyone is silent because I already told them my <laughs> So they're not—they're not reacting anymore. They're just all yeah. nodding on an audio podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. We're like, we know enough about yeah. you. I don't need to. <laughs> um, all right, Lily, why, why don't you go next? Okay, I play five instruments. My wife and I met when we were thirteen, and I once completed a triathlon. Very nice. Good. Very nice. Uh, that is Lily Marietto. Marietto or Marietto? Eh, Marietta. You you say Marietto, but yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> if I were speaking Italian, I would say Marietto. Yes, <laughs> Lily Mar- Lily yeah, no. Marietto, um, who is new to the nature of my game podcast, except for a brief appearance on uh, a, a on a Patreon on some Patreon content that um, the the her appearance had to be cut short, uh, but she will be joining the full time cast as Genevieve. Middle name Cornelia. Cornelia Vanderbilt. Thank you. And Emily, you are last. Yeah. Okay. Um. So mine are: I once sprained my ankle falling off of a stopped horse. <laughs> <laughs> I <laughs> I drove a car that I named Steve during high school. Okay. And at a dinner party because I go to really fun dinner parties. We once all measured the circumference of our heads, and I had the biggest head out of any of the women present. Amazing. Take that for what you will. (laughs) Oh, man. Um, Those are excellent. So that is Emily Townsend, um, who is now uh, maybe on every season of the the Nature of My Game podcast. I'm season one. Season five, season seven, season eight, and now season nine. She has played Frances Anderson. She has played Ellie Freeman, Dr. Mm -hmm. Ellie Freeman. And she has played your character from Monster of the Week. Marion Hathaway. Marion Hathaway. Thank you very much. a well, a well-rounded uh, role player and actor um, <laughs> on the Nature of My Game podcast. So, if I told the three of you that um, that I was going to do two truths and a lie with this first season, and said that a Vanderbilt would accept Francis's invitation <laughs> to the park, uh, that you would find a severed arm in the water. Mm. And that you would get a chance to meet and converse with Claude Monet. Um, which would you have chosen as the lie? <laughs> I have no idea. Claude Monet, for sure. <laughs> for Definitely sure. Monet. I would say Monet. Yeah. 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 Unexpected. The severed um, arm is just 
you know, expected. <laughs> par for the course. That's par for the course yeah, for sure. Yes, absolutely. Yes, yes, that's the easiest. Yeah. One. <laughs> um, all right, so we're gonna dive back in. Um, our four art students in Paris, um, based on an, or, uh, because of an invitation from Francis Anderson, each went to uh, Ile de la Jatte. Uh, in Paris, uh, the park, to spend a lovely su- Sunday afternoon. They met uh, Claude Monet and Alfred Sisley, who were also painting at the park that day and um, seemed to want to chat with students. Um, but they seemed like they were a little nervous, a little scared, a little afraid of something that had happened. And when pressed about it, um, they were cut short because of a scream. And a woman and her two young children had seen a severed arm in the water of the Seine. And after calming the mother down and getting the children back to back to their mother, Francis fished out the arm from the water and um, gave it over to Genevieve to look at. Genevieve discovered that um, it seemed to have been amputated recently, but not with a knife. It seems to have been bit off by some unknown creature. And uh, the group was able to convince Claude Monet and Alfred Sisley to share whatever it was the strange thing that they experienced or saw because it seems to be related. And so that is where we are going to pick back up. So Rose has just kind of channeled her, uh, channeled Manu, her best friend, her favorite person, um, and how she would reassure these two men. And they both say that, yes, they did see something strange. Cicely kind of shakes his head and says, Yes, I, I, I did say something to Claude about it, uh, but it was it was so eerie, so wrong, that I put it forcibly out of my mind. And Monet says, It was uh, hunched and pale with an exceedingly large, bald head. Yes, uh, Cicely, Cicely uh, picks back up. It was perhaps a, a head or two shorter than I am, and it... It moved with a sort of an odd scuttling motion. I'd, I'd swear it was searching for something that it had lost. I know it all sounds quite foolish. Where where did you see this creature? When did this happen? Just um, moments before you arrived. It, um, I, I barely saw it. I, I, I really had convinced myself that it was a, a, trick of the, a trick of the light or something. It was just scuttling along over through the grass there just before you arrived. Down by the water or by the trees? Mm, yes, I believe that it moved from the from the trees down to the water. And it disappeared and you were the only ones who saw it. I don't know if anyone else saw it, but it was it happened so quickly. It it seemed to move so quickly that it it was there and then it was gone. So this has piqued Rose's interest, um, right? Like this is, she's feeling a little bit of like the same fire that she did when she and Manu faced what Mm -hmm. they did back in February. And so, I don't know. I think she's just, she's starting to stand a little straighter. Her her head feels a little less cloudy. Um, And so she's sort of looking in the direction of the water and, and she points like off to the right. Like, is that the way that it went? Where did, where did you see it go? I believe that it, it went down but these two accents are, are too close to each other to keep switching back and forth. <laughs> I believe that it moved down toward the water and then disappeared from view as it reached the edge of the the shore. So Rose is going to, you know, she's looking out in that same direction. And, and I, it's, I, I think she knows that she's not going to see this thing right away, but she's still sort of searching for it, like mm-hmm. any sort of sign. Um, is there anything that she could see from where she is right now that would like, I don't know, you know, like 
claw marks, hoof marks, like anything <laughs> from where they're at that like suggests like a, you know a disturbance of like a of like just like a non-humanistic disturbance. Yeah. Do you have any abilities that you think would help you with oh. this? Der. Um. Let me take a look. Um. Honestly. No. Okay. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm kind of looking at them, and I'm like, no, I don't. You know, like it's like I know that, like she knows that they're like telling her, like what? Um. Oh, you know what? I would like. Could I use intuition? I'd like to use intuition. I'm gonna take a look at the shoreline and see if there's anything that is just like springing out to her. Sure. You look around yeah. and you you don't see anything. And okay. you're starting to kind of put the pieces together. Uh, Genevieve said that she thinks that the amputation happened within the last few hours. So, it, you know, it, the arm wasn't still like gushing blood. Like it didn't just happen. It doesn't seem to you like it's very likely that mm-hmm. whatever this thing was, that it just bit someone's arm off. Right. Like it was like it was yeah. it was almost coincidental that it moved in the same direction that that this arm was seen. Okay. Got it. Not that they're not related, but it, it wasn't like it went down, bit somebody's arm off, and then ran away mm-hmm. and then you saw the arm. Yes. Okay. I think Rose will press a little bit further and say, um, so you saw it moving off in this direction. It was it was just before we got here. Anything else out of out of the ordinary? Anything else you saw? Anything else? And she pauses here, and then she says, you felt? And even as she says it, it feels like a weird thing to say, but she says it anyways. They both kind of think for a moment, and then Monet says, perhaps it would be best for me to draw it quickly for you? Wait, just a moment. And he grabs kind of a square piece of scrap artboard and starts using his paint to make like a quick rendering. Hmm. And I think all of you see, it seems like he almost goes into kind of a fugue state as he works. His brow is dripping with sweat. And then when he finishes, it doesn't take him very long and he he shows it to you. And it looks like if someone had come over to the painting and blurred out its features, like it's almost, it's it's blurry, the painting, which is, you know, obviously strange for a painting. Mm-hmm. But it's a, it's a hunched creature with like a tiny neck and a large head. Like, based on the scale that he's drawn, like, it looks like it maybe is, like, a head, sh- head or two shorter than a human. Jeez. It has claws at the end of its fingers. And the one feature that is most clear in the painting that, like, isn't blurred out is it has two small, beady black eyes that seem to kind of, like, bore right into you mm. through the painting. Would Genevieve be able to tell from the painting, like, what its jaw looks like? Uh, no, the jaws like almost like is kind of like weirdly blurred out. It's one of the features that like you can't mm. really see. I think Francis has a has been listening to all of this and doing a lot of like, okay, okay, it's not exactly what I've seen before, but I think she by this point has had a fair amount of experience in in drawing the things that she's experienced. I think for a while she kept herself from trying to put any of that on paper. And in the last two weeks, she's been doing it a lot more. And uh, I think she's going to ask Monet, Sir, I love the Impressionist as as I do. This is a little blurred. Is that because you didn't see the details or because you're having a hard time capturing them on paper? Is it hard to put it down on paper what you saw or is what you saw not clear? 
I'm not sure how to answer that question. It, perhaps my vision was blurred, perhaps my memory of it is blurred. This is, this is the best I can do. Can you picture it clearly, even if you're not able to draw it clearly? No, this, or is this, this what you see? This is how I picture it in my head. Hmm. Francis doesn't like that answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, Genevieve is going to ask if if Cicely has a clearer view of it hmm. in his head. He shakes his head. He's, no, that that is about how I saw it as well. It it moved so quickly. It like I said, it, it was almost as if it was a trick of the light. I I didn't get a good look. But it was in this light, in the afternoon sun. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <sighs> and then it just disappeared. Well, there are there are people, there are trees, there's the bank of the water. It was moving through as if no one could see it, and yet it, 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 it moved past and behind things, and then all of a sudden I no longer could see where it went. It was almost as if, have you ever seen a spider in a room that you're in, and it is crawling over something and you're sure you know where it is, but then all of a sudden you look there and it's gone. It, it, as if hmm. it ducked into a nook or a cranny and disappeared. All too well. Mm. <laughs> Don't like <gasps> bugs. I just had that happen the other day. It was mm-hmm. horrible. It's an apt yes. metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then I found it two days later. I'm sure it was the same spider and I killed it. Absolutely. Vengeance. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, I just don't want to see you. Do you know what I mean? You can live in my house. Just stay <laughs> hidden. Um, you, you know, I don't want to know that you're there. You all, like, the, you all know no. how I feel about bugs. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That spider had a two day reprieve. That's right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. I just want to ask, did the people around it seem to be reacting to it? They they both say that they're not entirely sure because neither of them, like they, like Cicely said something to Monet about it, but they both kind of very quickly convinced themselves that they hadn't seen it. Sure. Because it was so strange and like so in front of their face, but also like so shocking that it was that it like... It's as if their brain almost couldn't register what they were seeing. And so they weren't really paying attention. But I think you would think that if other people saw it, they might have had the same reaction where they like saw it. But then they're like, no, I couldn't have seen that. So they just kind of tried Mm -hmm. to block it out. Yeah. Right. Like so at odds with what they would expect to see. Yes, exactly. That they're just like, okay, okay, okay. I mean, I think Rose will. I think Rose is going to ask Monet if she can take his drawing he uh he hesitates for a second and then says you may but know that if you attempt to sell it you will need to leave paris and perhaps give up any hope of life as an artist to avoid my wrath um and he kind of like he kind of like smiles at you but But it's very very clear that he means it like do not try to sell this as as a as a as an authentic monet (laughs) <laughs> I think that <laughs> I think that Rose like still channeling some of Manu like gives like an unconventional laugh like one that doesn't even sound like <laughs> part of her own body yeah. like oh you know like that kind of thing <laughs> but, her, but her eyes are just like dead oh. like they're just <laughs> they're just dead <laughs> I think she says something Terrifying. like um, <laughs> I think she says something like that oh don't worry I can't imagine there's a market for this and then oh, I think no. she's just going he to... Think, he thinks that's hilarious. He, <laughs> he thinks that's so funny. 
It's not signed anyway. Well, yeah. Exactly. So exactly. anyways, this is my running undercurrent is that Rose has beef with Monet now. Oh. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um so I think Rose like hold like she holds up this this image and she's like kind of looking at it and like looking down to the shore. And I think she's gonna move closer to her little group hmm. of the Vanderbilts and Francis. <laughs> um and I think there is some part of her that's like a little questioning as to why the rest of them don't seem as like this little group doesn't seem unnerved by this as much but she's not she's like not digging into that and uh uh i think that she so so uh genevieve has already said though she's like this isn't any creature that she's ever seen Mm. before right like uh the one from the drawing or yeah yeah i don't know if she said that but oh okay but yeah. It is definitely not a yeah. creature that you've ever seen yeah. before. Yeah. Mm. Okay. But I think she's going to gather in with her little group and like kind of hold that out. And, and she's still looking down to the shore and she says, what do you make of this? Just eliciting ideas from the group. I think, I think Percy at this point, I think he's been listening to this whole conversation. He's obviously trying to you know, get in with Monet and Cicely here. But I think also he's been sort of looking around the whole time just to see as soon as they mention this creature sort of scuttling by in the area. I think, you know, since he is that that watcher, he's really looking for anything that looks even slightly out of the ordinary or a person who looks sort of off or, you know, something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't. People seem to have gone back to their to their kind of day. You know, people seem to have gone back to their day, gone back to what they were doing. Um, and in fact, right, right around this time, the the gendarme arrives um, to collect the arm. Um, and they start going around kind of taking statements from people. If you, if you want to interact with them, you can. I, th- I think Percy would love to, since he is deeply in with the various levels of good and uh-huh. bad society. So I think he would go up and just kind of follow the gendarme around as you know he's (laughs) soliciting these statements but i think you know since he is kind of experienced in working with these kinds of things i don't think that would be strange for him i think he's just kind of you know he's he's chatting he's trying to glean as much information as he can from this person did you uh did you see something son oh myself no of course not no i would never see something what are you a (laughs) bit of a amateur investigator Perhaps, if you would consider a poet an investigator, perhaps an <laughs> investigator of the heart and the soul. <laughs> he truly does not know how to respond to that, um, but he, <laughs> but he does kind of allow you to 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 kind of follow him around. And most people say that they saw exactly what you all saw, which was nothing up until the woman screamed and then the arm was found in the water. A couple of them say that they might have seen kind of a skulking figure. Like, they all they all describe it as, like, a person um, that was kind of, like, skulking around. And when asked where they saw it go, they all point to kind of across the water back to back in the direction that you all came from, kind of in the direction of that neighborhood right across the water. Because this is like a, are we on the shore of a pond or is it a lake? No, or? so you're so you're on an island in the Seine similar to the oh, Ile de la City, okay. which is where um, Notre Dame is. This is another one. This is the Ile de la Jatte. Um, okay. 
which has been turned into a park. Okay. So you like crossed a bridge from your side of the Seine onto the island, mm-hmm. and you can go to the other side, or you can, you know go back to where you were. And the people seem to be indicating that the creature like went into the water, or no, it like like kind of like well, at least like toward the bridge that you all came over on. Okay. No. Oh. I wonder, you know, so Percy has sort of this knowledge of officialdom, and I, I'm wondering if he feels like this gendarme is not sharing any information with him or withholding something, um, or also just whether or not he feels like this is a normal daily investigation into a sort of odd occurrence. Sure. Um, it does seem it does seem like a normal investigation to you. Um, they're just going around gathering whatever information they can gather. Um, they're probably going to take the arm to the morgue to have it examined to see if they can figure out any way to identify the body or if a body shows up somewhere. And even though the officer doesn't seem to have doesn't know how to to respond to your comment about the poetry <laughs> he does seem charmed by you you know you have a way of 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 speaking with people in official positions and so you think that you probably could kind of convince him to give you an update if they find anything oh yeah i think i would definitely do that mm-hmm. do i have right. like his his business card or something yeah exactly yes you do <laughs> love it <laughs> He'll send you a telegram or uh, (laughs) something like that. Perfect. And I feel like we should probably try and follow the direction that it seems like the creature went in, because it seems like no one else here really has any information for us. Yeah, I think that's Percy's inclination as well. Yeah, and I I think like through a lot of this, um, Francis has been very quiet. But I think think if we're going to start heading back in that direction, she is going to kind of stop and say I don't I've never seen anything like this before but and she's gonna glance at Rose who seemed very calm and like trying to get to the bottom of this in a like a reaction that Francis recognizes and she's gonna say Rose I I think you've seen something I don't know about the other two but I I saw some sort of creature once and it wasn't this but it was bad, and it was not from here. And I don't, I can't tell you where it came from, but I know it can wreak a lot of havoc here. And I, I don't, I don't know what to say, except we have to be careful. I don't want it to cause any harm, but it can harm us. That I am sure of. So let's go, let's find out more, but please, Let's all keep our eyes open and any blunt objects nearby, I think, may come to our aid more than not. Um, yeah, and I think this I think that this sort of revelation from Francis is a lot for Rose to hear. Um, because, you know, what she's just seen in the water with the arm, again, she's struggling with being like, is this is this really happening, or is this something that's like that is something is happening in my mind again? Um and and the yeah the peaked interest in the group is almost a little bit baffling for her because Rose understands like why this might be a motivation for herself but she's you know and so I think like as they're all I'm assuming they're all like a little huddled together mm-hmm. potentially like having this <laughs> conversation in. yeah and I think that for her like there's a hesitation on her part because 
you know, I mean, here are these like two Vanderbilts that she she doesn't, you know, she knows of, but not particularly well. And, you know, her relationship with Francis has always been like probably a little surface level up until Mm. this point. Um, And so to have this sort of information that that Francis has had some sort of experience in Paris that like might not be exactly the same as Rose's, but it's like clearly something bizarre and something affecting is is like a little it's a little affirming but it's also a little rattling and so i think you know she's still holding on to this this you know this scribble from monet you know i'm still tempted to just write not a monet on it but um, (laughs) you know she's like still like holding on to this this scribble for monet and i think there's a long pause for her you know she's standing there in her very drab dress you know her hair is like only somewhat like put together and she's kind of staring like at this group and looking amongst them and and really debating like how much she wants to say and how far she wants to go with this team because she you know she doesn't know them particularly well i mean what she went through with manu someone who you know she knew really well which she thought wasn't going to become something has actually changed the entire trajectory of her life at this point so i think she pauses and all this is running through her head and then she, she, you know, she swallows. It's, it's dry. It feels like all the, the moisture has, like, left her mouth. And she, she looks at all three of them. And then, you know, she looks back at Francis and says, something, something has happened to me in the last few months. I know what you probably all have heard. And she looks amongst the three of them and says, I know what you, what you think happened to me. And she looks down and there's almost like a shameful look to her. I know what's been being said behind my back, but I can't explain to you what occurred. I can't explain to you how I've gotten this injury. And, you know, impulsively, like her her right shoulder kind of shifts a little bit. Um, She says, but I know this sounds madness. It sounds madness coming out of my mouth. And I've been I've been grappling with this for months. But there there is there is something that happened to me here in Paris that I, I, I can't explain. And it gives me seeing this arm it gives me the same feeling that i had back these past few months i i can't i can't say what it is but i feel i i i want to understand what we saw here today is that and she kind of pauses here and looks amongst all of them like almost a little ashamed i think and like a little concerned like you know saying this especially in front of like these very affluent people um is that something you all want to pursue look rose I don't, I haven't heard anything about you. To be honest, I don't even know who you are. Um, (laughs) But all I know is that nobody else seems to be doing anything about this, and somebody's got to figure it out. So if you all are scared, I'm going to be going after that creature. If you want to come with me, it doesn't make any difference to me. A real, a real cheery lady. Love it. I love it. No nonsense. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Don't even know who you are. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Incredible. I, yeah. I think Percy, I mean, first he he always wants to do whatever Genevieve is doing, to follow his sister, to Little impress brother. everybody, to stand up for himself as the younger brother. So I think, not in so many words, but he, he basically says, you know, of course, you know, I have many abilities to lend to this quest and I will join you. <laughs> Great. What about you two? I think Francis is going to look at Rose and say... I don't know if me telling you what I saw will help or not. If you want to know what I've seen, I can tell you. But I get the sense that you don't necessarily want to share what happened to you. And that's fine. But I haven't backed down yet. I'm not planning on doing it today. Even in 
different company than I am that I'm used to, but I think I think we can I think we can do something. Great. Let's uh, go. Yeah. <laughs> you can tell stories while we yeah. walk if you want. <laughs> <laughs> so I take it Genevieve's is just taking off and we're all falling <laughs> falling in line. Yeah, I mean I think for Rose like this is an array of responses, probably none that she expected, <laughs> but she's like Okay, uh, let's, you know, I think she looks down to the drawing in her hand and says, okay, let's, let's press on. What's, what's our next step here? Where should we go? Well, Genevieve already started walking across the bridge. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> All right, then we're following which, her. Which and Genevieve, means Percy I... is right behind, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Genevieve, I think you would think, um, you probably think that this is some sort of creature, right? Like the bite is making you think that this is some sort of creature, and... You know, it appears to be like the best. The best guess you can come up with is, is like an, a, an attack from some like ravening creature that's like moving around the area and attacking people. And so the obvious course of action would be to like search the surrounding area for like people who have seen it or like signs of its stool or things like that. Like you, you should like go see if you can find like try to narrow down where it is. Yeah, I was gonna say like. I know I have natural history. I don't know if that would give me the ability to like search for like tracks of some mm. sort. Yeah, you definitely can kind of that's that's what you think you should do at least is that you should you should be looking for those things. And you also from your miscellany ability know that the neighborhood just on the other side of the bridge is a neighborhood called Nui. And so you think that's as good like that's kind of the direction that people have been pointing, so you figure that that's as good a place as any to start um asking around and looking around. Okay. So before you leave the island, um, I want to provide one last opportunity um, for you all. If any of you, specifically, I think, Rose... No, sorry. Specifically, Genevieve or Francis, would like to um, use a painting push, you can... um, You will receive an offer of mentorship from one of the two painters. Wow. Uh... I think Genevieve would do that because she is actually very desperate to improve her art abilities because she's not as good at it as she is usually used to being good at things. So what do I have to do? <laughs> uh, do you, well, you have to spend a push, but do you, do you have a preference between either Monet or Cicely? Monet. Okay. <laughs> go with the big name. Yeah, um, for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> so go ahead and um you should have two pushes on your um mm-hmm. on your character sheet and drop that down to one. Okay. Um Francis? No, I think Francis pushed last time to advance her career. <laughs> She's good. <laughs> she doesn't want to be out of pushes at the beginning of the session. <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> But no, I, I think at this point, I don't think she's savvy enough to to want to do that. I think Genevieve is smart enough to do it. <laughs> and I think Francis is too rattled to try. So Genevieve, as you're, as you're walking off, um, Monet kind of just uh, calls you over for just a moment and says, Here is, um, here is my card. Uh, I often bring students, uh, mentees of mine to my home. Uh, it is out in the countryside. Uh, the train ride away. I... We'll be sure to include you on the next invitation. Thank you so much. That that would be an honor. And then you march off. <laughs> I must be done. Time to go look at some tracks. Wow. <laughs> All right. So you head into the neighborhood of Nui, 
um, which I think I'm pronouncing right. I'm I'm attempting to to pronounce French better in this season. We'll see how it actually goes, but um, it's it's spelled N E U I L L Y, but I believe that it is pronounced something like Nuit. Something um, like it, I think. Sounds right to me. <laughs> Rose, you know a little bit about this neighborhood um, from your history ability. Um, so it used to be on the outskirts of the city. Um, but was mostly annexed into Paris in the 1860s, um, so 35-ish years ago. It was a stronghold of the Paris Commune Rebellion in 1871. Uh, It saw heavy fighting and the destruction of many buildings, and so there's been a wave of new construction recently. So a lot of the construction in this neighborhood is new. Um, so talk a little bit about how you're kind of, how you want to go about this. Are you going to kind of, you going to split up? Are you going to stay together? Are you going to take different tasks? What, what's your, what's your plan? You know, it's a, it's a sizable neighborhood. It's not, you know, it's not just like a couple blocks by a couple blocks. Like this is going to be a, if you want to look and ask around, it's going to be like a pretty thorough, um, time consuming process. Do any of you have any skills? (laughs) (laughs) Just in general. <laughs> do, any, do any of you? Do you, yep. any, you owe seventy skills? <laughs> yes. I, I'm not sure how Percy would say this to his sister, although I'm, I'm sure she knows what his lifestyle is. Um, but I think he would want to draw on his, you know, connections in various underworlds and his familiarity with you know, the, the less savory side of the city to see if they're, you know, if anyone's seen anything, if there's any rumor or intel going around. Okay, cool. That's fine, Percy. Just be careful. I think Percy would just say, oh, don't worry. I'm, I'm only going to the finest cafes and, you know, the finest restaurants and bars. Nothing seedy. <laughs> of course. <laughs> okay. So I, I think I'm guessing that that Francis and Rose, uh, the question was probably more directed at Francis and Rose than it was <laughs> at Percy. She knows she knows Percy and whatever skills he might have. Yeah, I think Francis has a moment of sheer soul searching as she tries to think, <laughs> dear Lord, do, do I have any skills? <laughs> and I do think also in this moment. She's like, that's why I have friends. That's why I normally do this with Monty and Donald. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm plucky. That's got to count for something. Pretty good at talking to people. I don't know. I don't, honestly, I'm, I don't know because I don't know if we're looking for some sort of creature or a man wandering around who doesn't have an arm anymore. I don't, because it feels like there's so much we don't know right now. Well, I would say if you were to notice either of those things, that would be valuable information. An excellent clue. Yes, I agree. And otherwise, if you think that you're good at talking to people, perhaps try that and see if you can find anything out. Can do. (laughs) Francis is realizing that Genevieve is going to be a harder nut to crack than she thought she would. (laughs) Francis thought she could bubble over and it would be best friends. (laughs) I think you can probably see why... um... Donald and Monty get along with Genevieve though. Like I feel yeah. like they they like <laughs> they appreciate her like her I don't know, her, her way and like can give can yeah. give it can give it back in a way that Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think Rose is like I think she's a little taken aback ba- by that question. <laughs> and so, I think like she sort of has like a quizzical look on her face and I think, you know, she's kind of like looking at 
She looks at Francis as she sort of responds and gives her also sort of a peculiar look and, and, and she'll look back at Genevieve and go, yes, I think I have a good grasp of conversation and assessing responses. If you say so. I'm assuming that's what you're referring to. <laughs> and I think she's going to pause there and kind of be like, I think there's just like, she's like, this is a weird sort of vibe. <laughs> and and, uh, and, uh, and I think she'll take like kind of like a step back on the sidewalk and say, this is a, uh, is it Nui, right? Nui. Nui. Nui is a, Nui is a, is a, is a large area. Perhaps we split up. That's what I was thinking. And <laughs> shall we... See what we can find uh, and regroup in two or three hours. What time is it during, like, what day, what time? Mid-afternoon. Mid-afternoon. Should we regroup at dinner? Reconvene around this area? Yes, that that sounds good to me. Okay. Uh, I think, like, without so much conversation, Rose has assumed that she, and she sort of, like, reaches out to Francis's arm and unceremoniously kind of gives her, like, a little tug in the <laughs> direction that they might walk in. Let's us go together. So. She is relieved. Yeah. She was genuinely <laughs> terrified about being by herself. <laughs> yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. So are the Vanderbilts going to go together then? Oh, yes. <laughs> Dynamic yeah. duo. Um, all right, so let's let's start with the Vanderbilts. Um, how do you two want to approach this? What do you want? And so, I, sorry, you already, Percy, you already said that you want to kind of see if there's anyone kind of in the criminal underworld. I will say that this is kind of a, um, it's a residential neighborhood mostly, so it's there's not like a lot of like seedy like you know bars or taverns or things like that to go to. Um, you could leave you could leave the area and go ask around. Um, but it's there's no obvious place for you to go in this area. I think so. There there are people around though, right? You know, certainly, just on yeah, the street certainly. or at a yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah I, of I think Percy, um, you know, while he has that sort of criminal underworld or you know, seedy underbelly of the city, that kind of knowledge, I think he he's broadly in tune with sort of different levels of society. Um, and you know, obviously he's a Vanderbilt, so the more upper crust levels of society, he can still float in pretty comfortably. So I think he's more thinking, you know, not just like specific sources in the underworld, but just he knows how to talk to people and he's going to do it. He's going to go up to them and find various ways to grill them about something he doesn't even understand. Okay. Um, Genevieve? Yeah, I think we're we're pretty much on the same page there. Okay. So you um, you start asking around a little bit. You start talking to people. Most people kind of give you looks like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, I have no, like, who are you? Yeah. Why are you stopping me on the street asking you about something as ridiculous as this? Um, I assume that Rose has the picture, right? The painting. Yeah. Um, so you're just kind of describing, I assume, this thing. Um, and people are, they have no idea what you're talking about generally. It's very like that scene in Beauty and the Beast, crazy old Maurice. Like, <laughs> there's a they're beast. both dressed so they're both dressed so nicely, and they're like, "Have you seen a small scuttling creature?" <laughs> I just I imagine Percy is like doubling down into increasingly florid oh, language absolutely. to try to try to paint mm-hmm. this like verbal picture of this thing, and maybe it's not landing. <laughs> it's definitely not landing. <laughs> Um, okay, so so you 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 know you spend a few hours asking around. Like maybe two people say, "Oh yeah, I did see something like that," and kind of point you in a direction where they 
said they saw it. It's very much like what Monet and Cicely said, where it's like, like they kind of saw it, like they saw it out of the corner of their eye, and it disappeared around a corner or down an alleyway, and like they didn't get a good look at it, but like something that was like skulking or scuttling around, like with a big head, like vaguely sounds like what they saw. Do, do they point in the same direction? Like, does it help us narrow down the area at all, or not really? No, actually, it's 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 more the opposite of that. Like, there, it, like mm. it, it almost feels mm. like the area is much larger than you hoped it was. Mm. Like, it seems like either there are more than one of this thing, or this thing is moving quickly all about. And we don't notice anything like else out of the ordinary, like people who just seem to be nervous, or any signs of like, like any tracks or anything like that, like blood or nothing yeah not 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 in the first couple hours of searching so you know it's getting to be about dinner time um do you two meet up at wherever you said that you would meet up for dinner yeah Yeah, i think so percy enjoys a nice meal (laughs) sure all right so rose and francis what are you going to do rose we're going to search we're going to search well but by god we are not searching unpreparedly do you have a knife Um, and yeah, I mean, Rose, since she's always wearing her apron, she'll pull out like her, the mallet and the chisel she has and she'll say, you know, these are the only tools I really know how to work with. Clever girl. So this is what I'll carry with me. I love it. Frances is a scoundrel, is a scrounger. That is her, her background and what she is, she is good at in a lot of ways. She's that middle sibling who's just going to like find whatever she needs. And I think she is going to take convince Rose to let them take about an hour and she is going to try to get some stuff together. Um, I think she's gonna, you know, she left her satchel because it didn't look nice with the dress she wore and she was trying to impress the Vanderbilts and that was a mistake. (laughs) So I think she's gonna grab herself a new bag and some odds and ends that she picks up along the way. Um, And she's gonna see if she can get herself something that's like either a nice big walking stick like she's used before um, I don't know that, like, she, it's a, she's got a good chance to, like, find a knife here, but I think she's going to find herself a walking stick. That seems like something a nice middle-class town would be able to provide. Yeah, so you, um, because you're a scrounger, because that's the general ability kit that you chose, you actually have quite a few points in preparedness. So, um, yeah. do you want to make me a preparedness roll um, to see how quickly you're able to get some, some items that you, uh, that you want? And you can choose however much you want to spend on that. Yeah, um, let's go, I'm going to spend two. I have five in it, so I'm going to bring that down to three. I'm not getting caught with my pants down. <laughs> um, so that is four. Four plus two is six. Six. Okay, so um, I'm going to I'm gonna take a page out of another role-playing game that I really like, Blades in the Dark, mm-hmm. um, and say that I'm going to give you basically three checkboxes. Love it. Um for things that you want to pull out in the moment um, perfect. When, when they come up. That sounds great. I love it. Because I didn't want to have to specify right now. <laughs> no, certainly not. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I think that being that being done and and Frances feeling a little, a little more like herself and she had a slip, but not anymore. Rose, do you have any idea where we start? Um, and I think during this time that she is like moving around with Francis while Francis is like acquiring her 
accoutrement. Um, <laughs> Rose is like, you know, here and there, like in the, you know, dirty reflection of the window, like trying to like put herself a little bit more to sorts, right? Like she's feeling a little bit more energized. She's like, all right, let me just, you know, she quickly like twists her hair into a bun, kind of like pinches some color into her face. Like she's trying to look a little bit less like a crazy person. Um, and, uh, you know, she's sort of like formulating their plan. And I think she'll say to Francis, I think we just have to move from place to place. Mm. I think we bring the picture. We try and ask, start at more public houses where there are more people. Uh, I don't necessarily think it's the best idea for us to be making ourselves known as a small, you know, small roving band of artists who are talking about some wild creature we've seen on the, mm, you know, agreed. the banks of the Seine, but, uh, you know, trying to reach, like, a wider group um, as possible. Absolutely. And I think that's I think that's how we go about it. So, I think they'll just, they'll go in the opposite direction of the Vanderbilts mm-hmm. and do that. Maybe moving through any, and um, you said this is, like, a residential, but mm-hmm. there's, like, probably some, like, restaurants, right? Yeah, Maybe some places that people are gathering. Mm-hmm. I think that's, like, where would start sure and anything that's like closer to the edge of the water maybe like rather than Mm -hmm. inward yeah sure so you um you do that you go around you start talking to people um you stop in at some of the cafes and the restaurants and ask around you're getting a similar response to what the vanderbilt's got which is most people look at you like you're crazy Mm -hmm. a few people say oh i might have seen something like that and kind of again similarly to Genevieve and Percy kind of point you in directions that are not particularly helpful in, in you narrowing down where this thing is or has been. Um, but it, as you're as you're about as you're getting close to calling it for the evening and heading to meet the Vanderbilts for dinner, you see a young man, maybe 16, 17 years old, who's walking down the street and he kind of seems to be like glancing over his shoulder or like looking around kind of mm. nervously. Mm-hmm. Um great. Is and he's by himself? Yes. He's got like a like a, a um like a satchel slung over his shoulder. <gasps> satchel besties. <laughs> Francis feels a great kinship. Um and I, I just I don't know, man. I know Rose has been through some stuff. Like I'm assuming that's not an alley, right? <laughs> like, no, no, this is it's, not it's a situation like, no, it's where like, somebody's no, gonna get a, No, it's a main street. Like he's Great. he like it's, this this person's clearly like wants to be out in the open. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, I think whoever of us notices first, I think it's gonna be very quick to to point him out. Let's let's walk up. Let's see if we can Yeah. I'm trying. I'm trying to figure out like I what the the best. <laughs> Probably not to lead with the picture. You there, sir? Have you seen this creature? <laughs> um, but yeah, how about are you, young man? Are you all right? And when you say that, he like he jumps. Like he he like didn't see you and is like like clearly very jumpy and nervous and says, oh, "Um, I, yes, I'm I'm fine. Um, why? You don't seem fine." We've had a we've seen some strange things around. Have you also seen something strange around here? Uh, yes. Uh, well, um, I don't know. Like, what have you, what have you seen? Um, Rose. Yeah. What have you seen? Oh, I think Rose just like yep. holds up the picture right in front of his face. And he he like he like recoils in shock. He's like, yes, yes, that's that's what I saw. Uh, and it. It, I was I was walking home from from 
from choir practice and 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 it it lunged at me. It came out from from an alleyway and it lunged at me and it, it had its mouth was filled with sharp triangular teeth. I I threw a book at it and I I, I ran away. And that's where we're going to end no, our no, story. No, for no, no, no. <laughs> no. Don't mess with the choir boy. They're going to shake this kid down for info. <laughs> Tell me quickly, what's the story? You saw what and went with whom? This podcast was created using the Yellow King RPG by Pelgrane Press and is based on an adventure written by Robin D. Laws, both used under the Pelgrane Press limited community use policy, along with the music from the Yellow King Suite written by James Semple. Our intro music was composed and produced by Jean-Luc Bouchard. You can find more information about the nature of my game podcast at NOMG Podcast on Twitter and Instagram or at nomgpodcast.com. To support us on Patreon, please visit www.patreon.com slash nomgpodcast. <laughs>